The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast. In this edition of the podcast, the AV Play Review team review See No Evil on Region 1 DVD, and Chris McAnini gives us an in-depth review of Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest on Region 1 DVD. Jason looks at some new mobile phones, including a nifty little gadget from 3, which allows you to contact Skype contacts from your mobile. And in this week's roundtable discussion, we discuss whether the trailers are actually better than movies. This week's, this week's audio-visual news. In this edition, news this week of announcements from Projection Design, Arcam, and Denon. We start our news this week with some projector news from Projection Design. The brand new Model 2 Wide is a state-of-the-art HD-ready DLP projector with a wide-angle lens which can project a 2-metre picture from just 2 metres away from the screen. This is of course perfect for small living rooms such as we have here in the UK. The 720p DLP projector uses Texas Instruments HD2 Plus Dark Chip 3 DLP chip with the very latest driver circuits on uniboard electronic architecture. According to the press release, this allows the machine to deliver exceptional true optical contrast, superb black levels and remarkable detail. Inside there is light path matched optics and a new 7 segments neutral density green colour wheel. This dramatically improves colour fidelity and low level resolution, with full grayscale reproduction all the way down to the deepest blacks. The projector also boasts projection design proprietary real colour advanced colour management for perfect 6500K out of the box. And with a thousand video optimised ANSI lumens from the new Philips 220 watt UHP lamp, the contrast is 4000 to 1. We don't have a price for this new projector yet, but given that Projection Design Action Model 2 is around 3500 we guess the Model 2 Wide is likely to be around the same price, or slightly more. While many of our listeners are converting to the two HD formats presently available, Cambridge-based Hi-Fi and home cinema manufacturer Arcam are saying, don't be an HD beta tester. Get the best from DVD. That's quite a statement, yet Arcam are determined to back up their tough words with what they claim is their best DVD universal player yet, the FMJ DV139. Arcam claim this player will deliver the most outstanding upscaled 1080p DVD pictures yet and a CD playback that will put most high-end CD players to shame. The FMJ DV139 uses Zoran's Vadis 888S core processor, Anchor Bay's deinterlacing, upscaling, and Arcam's broadcast quality circuitry, delivering a picture that Arcam states is simply stunning. Anchor Bay's motion adaptive deinterlacing produces pictures that are pure, clean, and startlingly detailed. The Anchor Bay ABT1010 is revered as the best scaling engine available 
and offers outputs at up to 1080p resolution, allowing the DV139 to supply high-resolution pictures direct to the screen using its HDMI output, in many cases bypassing the low-cost scaling chips fitted inside digital video displays. The resolution options include 768p for direct input to 1366 by 768 pixel displays. The player also allows easy setup with HDMI and scaling for flat TV technology and the ability to feed standard TVs at the same time. There's also extended buffer memory, meaning no pause during the layer change of most DVDs. To ensure that Arcam customers enjoy optimum video quality, Arcam have built a simple calibration routine into the DV139. The display wizard directs the user through four simple steps to correctly calibrate any display for brightness, contrast, colour and sharpness. Arcam have a reputation for matching superior picture quality with audiophile quality sound. The DV139 has ultra-high precision clocking, Wolfson 8740 DAX, twin audiophile grade toroidal transformers and ultra-low noise power supplies, ensuring that CD, SACD and DVD audio playback is of the highest quality. This high-end display is available in silver or black finishes in December from FMJ dealers and will retail at around £1,800. And finally this week is news of Denon's new micro-networking hi-fi unit, the DF103HRDAP. This sleek new micro-unit takes the features from the company's last model, the DF102DAB Mini, but removes the CD player in favour of a hard drive unit. This is still real hi-fi that's smaller, better and much cuter than the norm, but now it adds 21st century audio communications. The stylus aluminium design uses audiophile components and the high-grade amplifiers drive speakers which are tuned for critical UK ears. The hard drive unit has the capability of storing up to 10,000 songs and the unit can help rip them from CD. It also allows use of internet radio stations, music streaming from PCs and Macs, as well as easy optional interface with iPods and FM and DAB radio. The 103 features total iPod control using Denon's optional ASD-1R dock. This uses line-out audio and also offers photo and video playback. Track info and playlists are displayed on the front panel of the 102 receiver and the iPod is controlled using the system remote. What's also unusual about the 103 is the option to add a record deck and even a cassette player. The unit will be available this month in a number of options with the full system costing around £1,000. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com The world's longest lasting batteries from Energizer. Energizer Ultimate Lithium take up to 630 photos in digital cameras compared to just 90 with ordinary alkaline batteries. Perfect for MP3 players. Ultimate Lithium lasts up to five and a half hours longer and are ideal for when you're on the move. Chances are you're going to need batteries again this Christmas. Choose Energizer Ultimate Lithium. Energizer. It's what's inside that counts. The biggest news and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And it's time for this week's DVD news, and first up, it's Seth Gecko. Horror fans will rejoice in January with the release of Saw 3 on the 23rd. 
this particular movie is going to have four different editions with an R-rated full screen and unrated edition, an unrated anamorphic widescreen edition, and for those who want a bit more detail, the Blu-ray edition. The RRP will be $30 for the regular DVDs, the Blu-ray version being $40. And Region 2 DVD fans can rejoice at The Simpsons Season 9 due for release on the 29th of January, priced at $39.99. All 25 episodes of Season 9 are included in this extras packed 4-disc set, which includes audio commentaries, animation showcases, deleted scenes, TV commercials, sketch galleries, The Simpsons movie trailer and a Season 9 featurette. Back to Blu-ray again and on the 23rd of January, Miramax are releasing Chicago. The movie will be presented in 1080p as usual and it seems very likely that it will also include an uncompressed PCM 5.1 soundtrack. We're also expecting it to have extra supplements such as commentaries, deleted scenes, featurettes and extended versions of the musical numbers just like the DVD release of last year. Fox Home Entertainment has announced the Region 1 DVD release of The Passion of the Christ, the definitive edition, on the 30th of January. Mel Gibson's controversial film portraying the final movements of the life of Christ now returns to DVD in a two-disc definitive version. This will include the theatrical and recut versions, which will use seamless branching, as well as both a Dolby Digital and DTS 5.1 surround track. Extra features include By His Wounds We Are Healed, Making of the Passion of the Christ, and The Legacy, as well as deleted scenes, theatrical trailers and galleries. And if those previous Blu-ray announcements weren't enough, there's even more. Buena Vista are releasing three titles on February the 13th. First up, we have Reign of Fire, the Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale dragon fighting movie. Ladder 49 with John Travolta and Joaquin Phoenix as firefighters. And finally, one for Phil, The Prestige with Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson. Extras are unknown at this point in time, but we'll give you more details as and when we have them. And finally this week is the announcement of the Region 1 release of 24 Season 6 premiere, which will include the first four riveting episodes of the 2007 series opener. The disc will be priced at $14.98 and includes a 12-minute preview of the fifth season. And it's time for this week's competitions and we've got some cracking Christmas prizes for you this week. Starting off with Peter Kay and the Phoenix Knights Season 1 and 2 box set. To win yourself a copy of this comedy classic, just answer this simple question. Who owns the Phoenix Knights Club? And next up, staying with the Peter Kay collection, is the Max and Paddy box set, which includes Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere, the complete series, and The Power of Two, the full fitness programme. And to win yourself a copy of this box set, just answer this simple question. Which actor plays Paddy? And finally, if you're undecided whether it's Blu-ray or HD DVD that you're going to go for, well, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment are giving you three chances to win all seven of their recently released titles on Blu-ray disc. These are SWAT, Into the Blue, Hostel, Tears of the Sun, Exorcism of Emily Rose, Stealth and Ultraviolet. So to enter the competition, just answer this really, really simple question. What colour laser is used in Blu-ray players? What kind of players? Blu-ray. So for your chance to win any of those prizes, just head over to avforums.com forward slash competitions. This week's DVD Reviews. The subject of this week's review is See No Evil, a joint production between Lionsgate and the World Wrestling Entertainment, filmed in the outback of Australia. 
The star of the film is Kane, and he's a wrestler who apparently has got a huge following in the States. He's a massive seven foot tall Hulk, and he looks like he's a serial killer, more at home butchering people than ripping their eyes out from their sockets. And really, because that's actually what he's been cast as in this film. The film's plot is really wafer thin. It concerns eight convicts who volunteer for reduction in their sentence by agreeing to some community work in a rundown hotel. It's only that this hotel happens to be the home of one Jacob Goodnight, the serial killer, um, with a thing for removing people's eyes. Essentially, the film is really an excuse to show an ever-increasing act of brutality by Goodnight to his victims. There's absolutely no attempt at characterisation, so you don't really care too much about the fate of what happens to anybody in it. And to be honest, about halfway through, I was about to give up on it, because um, really, there's not much originality, and really, there's virtually no merit to the film. However, the film is absolutely relentless. It's got a breakneck pacing and it's continually throwing splatter and horror at the film. So much so that it actually won me over, or if you prefer, it uh, wore me down. I started to enjoy the madness of it all, with some of the nasty deaths, a bit like being eaten by wild dogs or choked by having a mobile phone shoved down your throat. I found myself giving a nod and a wink to the screen and just laughing with the absurdity of it all. Especially the reason behind Goodnight's Insanity it was all a bit obvious and silly, but, you know, I got a bit of a kick out of it. Anyway, looking at the picture, it's one of those um, that's normally reserved for really bad films. And by that I mean the picture is quite excellent. It's an anamorphic widescreen 1.85 to 1 transfer and it shines off the screen. The greens and browns of the typical landscape production are bold and solid. The blacks give a huge depth to the picture. Um, with detail that leaves absolutely nothing to the imagination. There's no print problems, well apart from some slight blocking during some smoke early on, there's no compression problems either. There's no edge enhancement. In fact, it's, it's, it's a great, great picture. The same can be said for the sound. It's an English Dolby Digital 5.1 and it really assaults the speakers. It's excellent on bass, it's got terrific surround effects, it's moody and it's depressive. Perhaps not as enveloping as some of the top discs out there, but it's certainly no slouch. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for the extras. They are slightly less than impressive. Although there are two commentaries and it tries to bulk them out. But everything really here is an extended ad for the film, even the, down to the 10 minute featurette. All they really talk about is how good the prosthetics were and how tall Kane was. In the end then, I think See No Evil is just a thoroughly nasty piece of work. There's very little um, redeeming features other than its unflinching and relentless approach to its killings. If you're not into the Saw mentality, and even then you've really got to be into the hack and slash genre, there's little to recommend. But if you like blood for the sake of blood, then there is enjoyment to be had. The excellent picture and sound are slightly let down by the extras, but as a set, I give this one 5 out of 10. Right, well I've been lucky enough to, um, to view Pirates of Caribbean 2, Dead Man's Chest, the Region 1 release. Um, a film that was extremely well anticipated. The biggest film of this year, certainly, um, and also kind of a disappointment. Um, the return of Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, Johnny Depp, once again returning to perhaps the greatest character that cinema's created in, in recent years. Um, and it's a very convoluted plot. He brings along with him all the, most of the original cast members for what is one rambling collision course of set piece after set piece, incident after incident. It's colourful, it's vibrant, it's hyperkinetic. It's not as funny as the original one. Johnny Depp's character isn't quite as savvy as he once was. A huge error, which I think is the um, is 
Well, his lack of nobility now. Yes, he's a pirate, but he came to terms with like new friendships in the first movie. Now he seems to stab anyone in the back who, you know, in his in his efforts to escape from the the infamous Davy Jones and um, and the locker he seeks to you know escape from because he's been cursed by Davy Jones and now Davy Jones has come back to collect his soul. So it's all a madcap rush to find the dead man's chest. Whoever gets there first is going to rule the seas, and of course Jack Sparrow can survive and outrun destiny yet again. But as I say. He's not the same person. In the first film, he could fight, he had navigational skills, he was cunning, he was a bit of a flamboyant fop as well, he was clumsy, yes, but not to the degree that he is in this movie. In this film, he doesn't fight, he runs away, he falls over, he swings his arms about. His lines aren't that funny, but, you know, on the plus side, it is full of eye candy, the effects are fantastic, Davy Jones is perhaps the greatest CGI creation I've seen so far. A truly living and breathing and well integrated with live action character. Truly amazing. As is the rest of his crew. Um, barnacled and carbuncled and full of spines and fins and horrible creepy crawlies attached to them. Terrific fun in the effects department. It's an overlong movie and it, it well, I don't know. It's, a, it's the middle movie in a trilogy, yeah, so maybe it's a difficult order to, to achieve, but it, it left me wanting more, which is not a bad thing, but I was also quite disappointed by it. At the pictures I was disappointed, on DVD, it does kind of find its sea legs, because it's a marvellous, marvellous transfer. You're watching it in the, you know, your own home, it's a long movie, so you can pause it whenever you like, you can return to it whenever you like, you're not anchored to it. Um, the, as I say, the AV quality is absolutely outs it's outstanding. The picture quality, it's only a standard DVD release, but it is amazing. The clarity, the colour, the vibrance, it is pin sharp. It is a really, really astounding looking DVD. The sound quality, well, this is the Region 1. It only has a Dolby Digi 5.1, um, but to be honest, it is absolutely amazing to listen to. There is whip-around effects all the time. Hans Zimmer's wildly overproduced score is pounding away like mad but it doesn't submerge the dialogue um, you have plenty of, of activity from the rear speakers you have a very very wide front sound stage it's a very engrossing very immersive sound mix thoroughly enjoyable it's a double disc release this and you have well what at first appears to be quite a treasure trove full of extra features sadly they're more trinkets and tranquilments than treasure because what you have here, it covers every aspect of the production. You have a brief little bit about the, uh, the pre-production, um, the, the problems of trying to make a, a movie, which is the middle part of a trilogy, when you actually haven't got a script to do so with. Um, you have uh, a quite lengthy, it's over an hour, um, documentary about the actual production of it. Again, this seems to fall over itself, trying to show what a family atmosphere it was, how much everyone likes to work with everybody else precious little input from the main stars they do crop up for little sound bites here and there but it is not their show it seems um, and the special effects side of it something which I was looking forward to especially um, they're covered in two very brief featurettes Davy Jones gets his own lasting roughly 12 minutes um, and you have one for the Kraken sadly they're not what I, what I expected especially when we've seen the likes of really immersive behind the scenes documentaries about special effects King Kong Lord of the Rings etc this comes up really really wanting 
Um, you have a commentary track as well, but it's by the two writers. Now, it's a nice nice enough track to listen to. The two of them get on very well. It's kind of fluid and free-flowing. and It's very scene-specific. Uh, the, and they do seem to realise some of the errors of their own particular style of writing. They're kind of, let's throw everything in you know, and see what comes up. Let's think of the best situations we can have and then concoct a story around it. I mean, they, they're quite open about that. But, you know... It, it kind of leaves a lot to be desired. As releases go, it's a bit of a no-brainer. If you like the first one, you simply have to have this as well. And I do seem to be in a minority for, for you know for not liking it as much as everybody else. But you know, it's um, it's not as good as the first one, but it's a, a a damn good release in its own right, AV-wise. Extras-wise, well, no, you can take them or leave them, but it's still recommended. Overall, I'd give the package probably about an 8 out of 10 for the whole thing. Film-wise, it would only get a lowly 6, I'm afraid. So let's hope that um, Jack Sparrow can come up with the goods for the third time. Let's hope he's savvy enough to, uh, to deliver the goods. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. As we only have four podcasts up until Christmas... We thought it'd be a good idea for our reviewers to give us their 10 best DVDs of the year. So, one reviewer each week for the next four weeks will be here to give us their top 10 choices. And first of all this week is Chris McAnini and his top 10 DVDs of 2006. So Chris, let's go from 10 to 1. From 10 to 1. Uh, well, it's a tough choice because there's been so many great releases as far as I've been concerned, but... Coming in at the number 10 slot would be a film I didn't expect to be in the top 10 at all, but it's Cars, because it won me over on DVD, and the the quality of it is absolutely amazing. It's a total and utter eye candy, and I loved it. Number 9 would be more eye candy, Justice League Season 2. God, I love this show. It is fantastic. Um, I, the, each episode is very vibrant, action-packed, good stories, quite mature, quite dark. And season two was definitely the one to plump for. Number eight would be um, the remake of Hills of Eyes, uh, unrated, the Region One edition. Um, yeah, it's it's a dark, edgy, you know, retake of the original story. I love the original story, and I like the direction this one took. It's got oodles of atmosphere. It is uber violent, and yeah, it it's a good one. Number seven would be Dracula, the 75th anniversary edition. Everyone who knows me knows I love my vintage stuff, and uh, this is a, a version to die for and become undead for, in fact. It's a great one. And number six, for the same reasons, Frankenstein's 70th anniversary. That is a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, release. And the two of those come exceptionally nicely packaged as well. Great to have on the shelves. Another one, great to have on the shelf, providing your shelf is strong enough, is number five which is Forbidden Planet, the 50th anniversary edition, ultimate edition, I should say, which comes in the huge industrial-sized um, metal tin. Great film, uh, the best release it's had thus far on DVD. Fantastic remastering job. Uh, there is high-def version out there, but I haven't got that one as yet, so this, this one is at number five. Number four, a humongous mammoth DVD release, Ridley Scott's Extended Kingdom of Heaven. He does the extended gladiator trick with this one, and it is warts and all, possibly the one of, one of the best and most immersive making of documentaries I've, I've ever seen, and AV quality to die for. Truly, truly great, great film. 
thoroughly um, it changes your opinions. The, the broken down theatrical cut was was basically a lousy letdown of a film. Finally unleashed properly in its its full director's cut. It's a different movie altogether. Brilliant. Number three is well, it's actually twenty movies in one. It's the uh, the Bond remastered editions, the double discus with DTS soundtracks on them. Have a look at them. They've all been cleaned up. The films, most of them, are great. Some are clunkers, but we're going for the full set. They're great. Um, number two, the Omen Collector's Edition. This is the Region 1 edition, which I've got. Um, one of my favourite horror films of all time. A fantastic clean-up job being done on it. Um, the restoration is simply amazing. A lot of documentaries there, too. It's a uh, good comedy tracks. It's a good all-round package for a film that finally got, you know, it's just desserts. Number one, contentious issue, Peter Jackson's um, King Kong Deluxe Extended Edition. Once again, like the Rings movies, I love this movie, um, and this DVD release is absolutely amazing. Thoroughly warts and all. I love the making of. Uh, it's just, it's gargantuan, and it covers, you know, every every single aspect of the making of the movie, and I love it. Um, these that sort of thing can't go on for too long, as far as I'm concerned. So that's it in a nutshell. That's my top ten. Thanks very much to Chris McAnini for this week's top ten. And next week we'll hear from Simon Crust. For more DVD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. Jason's Gadget of the Week. As regular listeners to the AV podcast will know, I like to keep you in touch with some of my own gadget goings on. This week, I got a call from Three, the uh, 3G mobile phone network in the UK, and uh, they wanted me to come and see a new product, in fact do a vox pop for a web campaign they're doing, uh, called X-Series. So this is a sort of network side application or set of applications, which they're promoting along with, I forget which Sony handset, but um, the Nokia N73, which uh, is a handset I'm particularly uh, fond of. And essentially, X-Series is a series of applications. Now, you'll have to go to the website to find out exactly what it does, because it does a whole load of stuff. If you Google X-Series and 3, you'll definitely find it. But I'll tell you about some of the features that uh, I found truly remarkable, and I'll save the best one till last. So, first up, uh, through something called the Orb, they're offering you the ability, for a small monthly set fee of about 5 to £10, pounds, depending on your tariff, that's in addition to your normal phone call tariff, within the Orb environment to connect to your PC and control or download various assets. Now, I actually saw this working, and one of the guys at 3 had, um, had ripped a DVD on his hard drive and was playing it through his mobile phone handset. Now, bearing in mind that his computer could be anywhere in the world that was pretty darn impressive and I can tell you it was really good quality playback with a nice landscape sort of phone on the slant widescreen view uh, in fact it was heaven and earth uh, which was quite an epic movie to be watching on a screen that small but I can tell you it was really good and also with the headphones that come with the N73 very loud easily good enough to watch uh, on a long train journey or in a hotel room or on a bus or maybe at work so I thought that was really impressive. That's the orb. Something else that they were um, that they were pushing was uh, full functionality with Slingbox. They call it Sling for obvious reasons. Uh, and again, I had a play with um, one of the uh, test setups they had. They had it hooked up to a, a sky a skybox, and I was cycling through the channels. Uh, I'd look at CBBS. I watched a bit of Sky News. And again, uh, it was very quick. The streaming was extremely efficient. There was virtually no buffering. 
Now, I mean, if that's transferred to the uh, the consumer experience, then they're really truly onto something. So, as a big fan of Slingbox, you know, I've always thought that the killer app for Slingbox is mobile phone use. I know that there's various applications out there now with Slingbox on their website where you can use it with a mobile phone. But as this is provided through three the UK uh, 3G network provider. It's, um, you know, the whole sort of hardware-software coupling is really sweet and it worked seamlessly. Finally, and this is the bit that I got most excited about, I experienced for the first time a world first on a conventional mobile phone that can be used for normal mobile phone calling and internet surfing and all the rest of it, uh, Skype to Skype calling. In fact, interestingly, I loaded up the application, I put in my details, and for the first time on the brand new N73 that um, 3 kindly gave me, I called uh, none other than Stuart from AV Forums. And as Stuart would attest, uh, I'm sure he'll write about this in the forums, we had a, a really good phone call. In fact, it was so clear um, he thought I was joking when I said I was on a mobile phone and I had to kind of walk about to convince him that I wasn't on my headset which is uh, our usual means of, of conversation so it's a huge breakthrough in terms of getting um, you know, voice over IP calling onto a mobile phone and when you consider that everyone's talked about the death of mobile phone companies and landline companies uh, thanks to the arrival of VoIP um, I think it's a really smart move on 3's part there are various packages uh, you'll have to talk to them about the details and go to their website but I do remember uh, then banding around figures like £5 for the basic package, £10 for the uh, the big kind of Uber package. Really good pricing for a service which I'm telling you firsthand is remarkable. They've also got eBay on there, MSN and various web surfing packages. And I now know from a, one of the three technical guys who actually showed me it happening that you can use a three phone purely as a modem to get onto your laptop and, and use it for data, which is, again, something you haven't been able to do for a great, a great length of time. So, um, you know, thumbs up to three. If ever there was an, an excuse to port over to the three network with your new mobile, then uh, X-Series is definitely it. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Oh, worth it. Totally worth it. This week's Roundtable Discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. A rather interesting subject for this week's roundtable discussion. Do trailers give too much of the movie away? And are trailers actually better than the movies themselves? To discuss this in this week's roundtable, we have Chris Magnini, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. So let's start with Simon. In my experience, there are no bad trailers ever made. The trailer makers themselves is an art form. And it's a very good art form, because nine times out of ten, it falls you into thinking what a great film you're going to see. I'm not sure if it's the percentage of films to trailers are, is that high, um, but I've never seen a bad trailer. What about you guys? A bad trailer. I probably have, but I really can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, no, I don't think I have. I mean, obviously they're taking the best elements of a movie, aren't they? And uh, putting it together with an atmosphere of its own. It's the, the, they're little mini-movies in their own right, aren't they? Some of them even make the mistake of actually telling the film in a linear fashion as well. talking, Literally showing you scenes in the consequential order, which is a, a, a big mistake, obviously. But no, by and large, I don't think I've seen a bad one. Not, not one that's uh, certainly... You know, before seeing the movie, I thought, well, that was terrible. I'm not going to bother watching that. Unless, of course, it happened to have someone like Paul Walker in it, in which case, no matter how good the trailer looks, the fact that he's in it is going to be a dum-dum to begin with. I don't, I don't know. I think uh, it's, it's a tough one. I think there are some trailers that really do give far, far too much uh, of the plot away. But there are some that, that really don't. I'm just trying to think of one that that um, that really did. Um, right, yeah, um, a very recent trailer 
for, for the movie. Um, Pan's Labyrinth, Guillermo del Toro's new one, gives totally the wrong idea of the movie. It, it's a long trailer and it plays up the fantastical elements of the movie as if that's all the film is about. When the film is actually 80, 80% about the um, aftermath of the Spanish Civil War and the cruelty of the fascists who are, who are ruling the country at the time. So if you go, if you watch that trailer and then you go to see that film, you are expecting something akin to, you know, Alice in Wonderland crossed with Lord of the Rings. Sadly, it is not the case. It's a terrific movie, by the way. It's much better than the trailer makes it painted out to be. But you know, the trailer, as gorgeous to look at as it is, you go, you see that, and it is pure fantasy. And that, of course, is the point of um, bad marketing: how to totally sell the film to the wrong audience you know and it's uh in this, in this particular case that is a criminal um mistake to have made do you really think we need to get the sales of good acts in with uh trailers these days because clearly quite a few of them are, are mis-selling the films that they're advertising no god if we do that they'll be saying that every single paul walker film's actually crap well it'd be true that boy. Well, and, they yeah. can't actually get away with that in the trailer but you know if the if the trade if the sales you know proper sales description came along they would actually have to say don't see this film this is garbage um as opposed to misrepresenting the movie in any shape size or form by showing you all the good bits and making you think that it's good so do you think it's a clever ploy by by hollywood then and do you think they, they overplay that because there's there's so many trailers i've seen for films i thought yeah that looks good and been thoroughly disappointed with the movie in the end that's sadly that's inevitable isn't it that really that's that's uh, what they're trying to do is sell the film and they sell the film to the best of their ability because the, uh, as far as i know more the directors aren't in, involved at all are they in, in the marketing or the trailers of the film? Not so they, they can't, not, not yeah. to any great degree, no. Yeah, they I can't mean. put their vision across. So you get the, the, the men in suits, if you like, coming along saying, right, this is the best bit, this is the best bit, put it together. And it's not just one trailer anymore, is it? It's three or four different trailers. You get the teaser trailer, you get the, the, the international trailer, you get the homegrown audience trailer. All these different trailers are, are spread out all over the world just to get you in to buy your ticket to see the film. Once they've got your money, I don't think they care. Well, yeah, that's that's the suits, that's the studio distributors for you. That's um, that's their job, isn't it? In a nutshell, get the bums on the seats, get the tickets sold, and um, they don't care how they've gone about doing it, really. So, of course, the the artistic integrity of a movie is is totally at stake. Of course, the thing about a lot of trailers, the exciting trailers tend to be the ones for action movies. It would be very hard to to mess up a trailer for an action film. Because they've only got to show a couple of action set pieces. Very often with a, a different soundtrack played over it. But, you know, I I can't really think of a bad one that I've seen, to be honest. Even for the, the most mundane of a... Oh, hang on. Steven Seagal. That, but let's not really go into that. <laughs> I mean, the only way to watch a Steven Seagal movie is to watch a trailer. And then you basically have seen all of them, haven't you? Actually, in, in, in one 30-second, you know, <laughs> whiplash tour. To be fair, Chris, the only way to watch a Steven Seagal movie is after the lobotomy. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's with you know, with a blindfold on and plugs in your ears. Yeah. So this was going to bring. So this was going to bring me on to the next point, which is: um, Do trailers show all the best bits of the films? And and are you left when you actually go to see the film thinking, well, I should just watch the trailer, really? Well, there's no, there's no hard and fast rule on this. I mean, some some trailers obviously show far too much, um, even with the good movies. But you know, it's 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 not across the board, is it? I'm, I'm trying to think of um, 
you know, good indications of this, good examples. <laughs> I'm struggling to be honest. <laughs> it, it's a very tough one, isn't it? I, I suppose things. I suppose certain movies, like say the Fantastic Four, tend to show you all the action sequences, um, because when you watch that, you thought it was going to be, like, you know, really. Um, a, a big superhero thing, lots of battles and all that, and it was like a damp squib by the end of it, because half the movie was, oh, it's us, we've gone into space, oh, we've got powers. The, the, there are, I mean, some trailers that really stick in my mind, oh, obviously, at the moment, I'm, you know, James Bond, mental. The trailers for Casino Royale, right from, quite some time ago, in fact, were always exciting, and, but they, a lot of them focused on the, uh, there's a very sort of moody, black and white shot prologue to it, which is his first two hits. It plays a lot of that into the trailers, and it looks really, really good. And you know, by the end of it, you know, you're on the edge of your seat, and you can't wait to see the film. And you know, it's, it's well worth seeing. The trailer lives up to it. Other examples would be again my favourite movie, Gladiator. God, I can't. I mean, the first time I saw a trailer for that, it just blew me away. I just could not wait to see it. Having the uh, the music for um, Conan the Barbarian playing over it helped enormously. But it was such a well put together trailer. And also, again, with, with big blockbusters like that, they had different themed trailers. One of them would um, play up, again, I use Gladiator as, as an example, one would play up the, um, the heroism and the sacrifice angle, one would play up the nobility, the, the Roman general and all this. Then one would play, rather mistakenly doing it, would play up the, the romance angle. And that one has to be seen to be believed, because there's not a great deal of romance in that movie, unless, of course, you count Maximus kissing the, the scorched feet of his crucified wife. But it managed to find a few little quiet, intimate moments, painting completely the wrong image of the movie. Trailers nowadays, I mean, a lot of magazines give away DVDs featuring nothing but trailers. And it's really exciting to sit down and put them on. I mean, how bizarre is that? You're not even looking at a movie, you're looking at uh, you know, a smorgasbord of highlights. That was my next point, which was... I've found myself sitting in my cinema room and um, I've watched the film, but I'm not quite ready to turn, turn everything off. And I put I put trailers on because nowadays they come with anamorphic video and 5.1 sound and so on. So is there an entertainment value in watching trailers? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. They, they can be... They, if done right, they're mini-movies, aren't they? If done correctly. And, you know, with a good soundtrack, if it's a film you're particularly into, yeah, or you're looking forward to, of course it whets your appetite. You're right. Actually, they are like mini movies because a lot of the time, or has, or has happened recently, they are they use different takes, don't they, than what was actually used in the film. Oh, so it's a, a slightly different. A very viewpoint. good point in there. Yeah, I mean, there's Pirates of the Caribbean two, Dead Man's Chest. When the trailer came out for that, there's there's. I mean, I'm using this just to illustrate the point, but my son is a Jack Sparrow besotted, and there's he often quotes his favourite quote from the from that movie. It's not actually even in the film, because they've changed it from the trailer to the actual film's release. I think it's going to annoy him when he's watching his copy of it, <laughs> somewhat. But, you know, yeah, yeah, they, they, they do change them. Obviously, a lot of trailers are, um, are cut way in advance of the film's release. And, of course, then the film will be tested, um, preview audiences and that, uh, or the director has another look at it. And, obviously, yeah, some things get thrown out. In a way, they could be little rare archived moments, couldn't they? Yeah. That might not ever feature on the um, the deleted scenes of a DVD. I suppose the, the, yeah, the, tra- the trailers are a little bit of an art form in their own way. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're yeah. not written as an art form, are they? they they're written to, to sell the film. Well, but they've got to make sure that they get, you know, it's a two and a half minute trailer, they've got to bang their point across. They you know, see this film, which, you know, for some movies is easier than others. I mean, you know, Into the Blue, Jessica Alba, Bikini, five seconds sells the movie. Got to work, hasn't it? 
It's it's MTV pop promo though, isn't it? That's the style of that's how they make a trailer. It is you know they've got at most 90 seconds to to sell this film, and they're gonna pick the best bits. They're gonna make it look glossy. If done right, it's it's edited in such a way where it gets the adrenaline pumping. No, it just arouses interest. You're not gonna sit down and watch a trailer for just two people talking a minute long. You know, which tells you. It might tell you a fair bit about the movie, but it's not going to get your heart racing, is it? Well, I don't know. If you go for the Jessica Alba, there's only two best bits to go for, and that will get your heart racing. <laughs> and yeah, even if you were just sitting there talking, yeah, it would still work. Yeah, you're right. So, so guys, which which trailers that come to mind have, have um, etched themselves on, on your memories then as, as being <laughs> really, really good trailers? Oh, really good trailers. Uh, well, Gladiator, yeah, that, that is my favourite. Without any shadow of a doubt. I, I'm surprised you say that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is. It actually, it actually is. It's, it's so well done, but I love the movie anyway. And that, perhaps, when that film was coming out, if that came on, I was in a pub, you know, and that came on, you know, <laughs> it was just, well, I'd be like a big kid. But yeah, that's a great, great trailer. I'm not sure I can answer it, to be honest, Phil, because um, I I'd normally tend to avoid trailers and any sort of promotional material because I, I like to view the, the wow. films in question without any prior knowledge. You know, I, I don't like this spoiler attitude. So I'm not sure I can answer that one and say what is a, what is the best trailer in my point of view. Simon, I'm amazed you can do that. Because, I mean, my, if my life wasn't governed by the hype surrounding movies, I'd have nothing to look forward to. That sounds really sad, but if you... If you <laughs> my wife came on this right now. You know, she, she would just be... <laughs> the sob story she would tell. I mean, the, the house right now is transformed from Jack Sparrow's pirate lair into... It, it's Casino Royale. <laughs> there's there's Bond music playing constantly. There's every magazine that you can see in this house, and there's plenty of them. Usually as Daniel Craig's face leering out from it. Even when a film isn't particularly hyped, and I'm looking forward to it, I will buy everything going. And coming back to the trailers, you know, I, I could be moving from one room to another... And I'll hear the music for the trailer come, for this particular movie coming on, and I'll leg it back in just to sit through like a 30-second TV, you know, TV spot, and then think, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love it. I, I, for me, you know, uh, media saturation and uh, possibly finding out too much about a movie, I would probably have to say that Simon's possibly in in the right for doing that, but that's not for me. I I, I don't care if I know everything about a film before I see it. So it's but anybody- that's not the norm. <laughs> So has anybody else got mental health issues? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but you beat me to the punch there. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a, a tad excessive there, um, Chris. Um, in terms me. of In terms of the original question, I don't know about trailers that etch themselves in your mind. I think, I think one of the ones that kind of worked for me in terms of made me want to actually see the movie but didn't reveal too much is um, Seven. Uh, it didn't really tell you anything about you know, it, it told you the bare essentials about what the film was about, um, but it didn't go beyond that. Um, so I do think that was a particularly good trailer. Does any of you uh, guys um, actually remember the? And it was rather clever advertising for Train Spotting. Can you remember the the, the advertising for that? Big glaring colours with 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 each character. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Vaguely. But. I have to be honest, I didn't really care for the movie, so I kind of... Well, I, just, I, I, wasn't I, really, movie, I wasn't really going to go with the movie. I just thought, the, the, we're talking about marketing men and so on. That was probably one of the best promoted British films that I can remember. Oh, I yeah, can see it where was you're, huge, the cupboard, yeah. I can see where you're coming from there, Phil, but 
the, the movie itself didn't hold any interest for me. So if if there's nothing that is going to spark my curiosity or anything from that point, that it's going to be totally forgettable. Well, I remember the imagery from that film was everywhere. I mean, all the the bus stops, the, you know, had had a different character from it. Again, very Pulp Fiction style and um, Reservoir Dogs style. I mean, there was a big advertising campaign for both of those. Again, featuring different themed trailers. And um, again, you know, the sides of buses, bus shelters, subway stations. And I, I like I like that because, again, that feeds, of course, that feeds the um, the anarchy collector, like me. Because then you'll try to get every single poster going as well, if you're into the film, that is. But um, you see, I think you've got to be complimented on that, Chris, because I, I remember when I was a child, I was very much like that, especially around round about the Indiana Jones and and Star Wars and E.T. and all that kind of thing. That was that's when I was growing up. And there was that hype and, and, and everything, everybody had to go and see this movie and so on. Do, do you think we're, we're being oversaturated now and, and it's now getting to the point where, um, apart from Chris, you can't really get that excited about films nowadays? I think it depends on the movie. I mean, there are some that, you, yeah, that make me go, oh, that's interesting. I actually was walking through a tube station um, Thursday, I think it was, and I saw the poster for a movie called The Host. Um, and it's sort of it's you know, a sort of trashy horror kind of movie, but I I think that I called a review of it somewhere, and it's a Japanese movie, and it and they said mm. it's a kind of a comedy horror. It's got a bit of a twist on the genre, and that actually reminded me in thinking, ah, I actually want to go and see that. But, Simon, do you still get excited about films just by by the mass media saturation? By the mass media saturation, yeah, I think so. Good lad. I don't think you can't. I mean, we we we're, we do what we do because we enjoy film, and if you don't get um, excited about stuff coming out, then you know you're sort of dead inside. I was saying, I don't think that's fair to say that um, you know if if you if you don't get excited about movies because of what we do, you're you're dead inside. I think it's it's more a case of the fact that. To a, to a degree, we get so hardened from all the hype and um, of certain movies and certain stars. You know, if it were, you know, take um, if it was the next J Lo movie, you're automatically going to have a reaction because of the person. Not or, you know, forget how much hype the movie may actually warrant. And that's sort of you know how I think of it. If if it's you know, if you saw Madonna starring in a new movie, you're not going to rush out and see it, no matter how much saturation the media gets, because we all know she's a terrible. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the point is, I mean, it, it can it can sway some people. Yeah, the saturation. I mean, again, this is sounding repetitive. Bond. A lot of people, women don't like Bond or didn't like Bond. But all it all it took to fill the cinema. I've seen it three times at the flicks, and all it took to fill the, that cinema full of women was to see Daniel Craig coming out the water. Mm. Um, no oil painting, but buffed up, and because it just turned everybody onto it. Um, and it's it's created a whole new fan base for James Bond, and yeah, the, the hype, media saturation, yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Um, <laughs> but that that is just me. It can be annoying if it was something like, God, I know a new version of The Sound of Music, and that was bleating out from every TV advert. Yeah, it would annoy the hell out of me, obviously. But um, you know, each to their own. And I'm quite. I I tend to build up a film anyway in my own mind and. I'll, I will seek out any merchandise or any anything I can in, in the build-up to it, the, the lead-up, and but then I can look like a right fool when, it, when it's absolutely lousy. If I, if, well, I'm not going to go into the ones where it, it's, it's gone bad, but... <laughs> yeah, no, please do. We'll, we'll know, because I'm reviewing one of them. <laughs> 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 
Um, I may change my mind about it when I see it, probably. But the funny thing, if just to sort of go back on one point that you just said there, you know, you said if it's a movie that sort of sparks whatever curiosity and, you know, you buy into the hype, you buy into it, it's going to be something that more of a case that appeals to you regardless of the hype and the trailer, you know, Casino Royale, it's the new Bond movie. You probably were more excited about it being a new Bond movie than any of the publicity or hype that it got. I would have gone to see it regardless, and I would have got a lot of the stuff, the magazines, and read about it myself, but it, it certainly created a buzz around certainly a lot of my friends, and uh, more, you know, to the point, my work environment, where I'm, I'm there most of the time, and uh, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, it, it, okay, it's not Star Wars, which has, you know, it just seems to have universal appeal, um, or a really, really, you know, big fantasy blockbuster, which everyone's going to go and see. I mean, things like Talladega Nights come out, and like you know, it gets a lot of critical response, and everyone's like, "You gotta go see this film." Even Borat. Well, around me, no one is talking about Borat or or, they, or ever talked about Will Ferrell and Talladega Nights. Everyone's talking about Bond, and I love that. <laughs> I may actually it may well be my fault because I don't shut up about it, as you probably noticed. Yeah, we had but, noticed that, but never mind. So, but, lads, just to just to <laughs> cut him off. Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll cut them off at that point, and and lads, just to just to round up, uh, just nice and simply, are we in in agreement that trailers are a good thing or a bad thing? Good thing, great thing, indifferent thing. <laughs> okay, well actually, that's actually one's just come back to me now, which is quite good. Oh, it was there was it, it cut to like what looked like a spooky mansion. This is how the trailer started. There was lightning out there. The camera, you, some of you may. Re- recall this one before I even get to the punchline the camera prowls around all the corridors it, there's lightning flashing everywhere the music's building up very ominous and it's time for a new breed of hero the logo comes up and silhouetted against this big this big, you know, windblown window you have um, a, a tall figure with large pointy ears which you obviously assume is Batman and of course when the, the light is shined on it, it's Scooby-Doo <laughs> and I, I must admit, I mean you knew it wasn't Batman but I I loved the way they did it. I thought it was quite cool. Okay. So. (laughs) I apologise. Don't give him his own show, ever. (laughs) I don't don't think I've got enough uh, enough hard drive. Despite my accent, I haven't got a speech impediment like Jonathan Ross. (laughs) (laughs) And that wraps up this week's Roundtable Discussion. Our thanks to Chris McAnini, Seth Gecko, and Simon Crust. Brought to you by AV Forums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God, is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. And that's just about all we've got time for for this edition of the AV Podcast. We'd really value your feedback and would love to hear from you. You can leave feedback in one of three ways. Either head over to the avforums.com and leave a post in the podcast forum, or you can send us an email to podcast at avforums.com. Or why not leave us a voice message? Just dial 0208 123 9587 and leave us a voice message. And that rounds up this edition of the AV Podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Play Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.